0: Peter is going to share. He's got a great talk. I had a chance to preview it regarding the Bible, and I know that we're all in for a treat. So please welcome Peter. Hello. Um, thank, thank you very much, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, making it out in this uh, really hot weather. No, thank you. Thank you for coming out. And look, what an amazing job that the uh, people here have who set up and everything have done of making it um, cool in here. So thank you for for doing that. Um, and I won't like rouse you too much, okay? Or or maybe I should. I don't know. All right. You're trying to make me sweat. Yeah. Keep moving. All right. Anyway, so like um, my name's Peter. I'm I'm a regular at the river. I've been you know part of this church for for a good number of years and. I'm, like, one of the um, board members. Uh, I'm, like, not on official staff of the river. Um, you know, they – I tried, and they – no, no, they didn't. Um, and um, <laughs> so, like, um, but I like to do uh, every now and again give the sermon, and, uh, and my regular job is as a journalist. Uh, and so that's what I do during the week. But every now and again I get a chance to sort of talk about – Something that's going on in my life with regard to faith, and so that's what I'm going to do today. And um, and the title of my talk is is how to stay um, interested in the Bible. Okay, um, that's what we're going to look at today. Now, some of you are probably thinking quite legitimately. I have no problem staying interested in the Bible. I love the Bible. It's, like, so fascinating, and I always read it, and I, and I, and I love it. And so, like, I don't know what you're going to possibly say if you're going to be, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. But my point today is that, like, I do have a problem, you know, staying engaged with the Bible. You know, I've been a, a Christian for, like, nearly 25 years. I started to follow Jesus in, like, my mid to late 20s. And, you know, the tradition that I started at doing that in – was very much what we would call Bible based. Everything was Bible based, okay? And you know, I'm not gonna judge it or knock it. It was fun, it was very helpful um, for me to get to know the Bible, you know, to get to know this book, this collection of books over the years. And and so I look back on 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 that on that time very fondly in, in many ways. But, you know, as I've done more life over the years, as I've, as I've become more self-aware, and some of you may dispute that, but I think I have become more self-aware, <laughs> I can see um, that I sometimes struggle with the Bible, okay? There are moments when I find it alienating, uh, definitely confusing, and, and sometimes quite offensive. And so what I hope to do today is explore those negative reactions, uh, you know, look at all my Bible issues and then see if we can extract something positive from them, okay? And to do that, we're going uh, to look at um, a passage from the Bible, of course. And it's from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, um, Ephesus was a place, by the way. And Paul, as many of you know, was this sort of history-making individual He was a religious zealot um, who initially persecuted the early church but then he had this miraculous encounter with Jesus that helped turn him into a believer and and then he did much to extend the early church around, you know, the area around uh, Israel and into into Asia Minor as as it's called and his letters make up a fair chunk of the New Testament. And we're going to look at one of those letters today and so, you know, Paul loved traveling around the region, uh, it seems, when you read the book of Acts, and that's another book in the New Testament, and he had a very strong bond with uh, the followers of Jesus in this city called Ephesus, and he spent three years in the city. He was part of the church community there, and he used it as a sort of jumping-off place to go and do missions around uh, Asia where he spread the gospel, and um, his his deep kind of emotional connection to the church can be seen in places, particularly in the book of Acts. Um, there's a point where, you know, he's going off to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And so he summons these people he knows from Ephesus, the elders from the church, and he says farewell to them because he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Maybe he thinks he's going to die or something. And he says this, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. So that's, I, I mentioned that just because it's like, A reminder of just of the bond that Paul has um, with the people who he's sending this letter to. And, you know, a a, a good number of people um, think that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians from Rome quite a few years later. And he was still in touch with this church. And he deeply cared about them. And, And so as was so often the case with Paul, he had both profound and deeply practical things to tell his old friends and one more thing before we jump into our passage i just wanted to note that this this particular segment we're going to look at today comes just before one of the most beloved prayers in paul's letters one i think many of us will know and it's this this passage is essentially the lead in to the prayer where uh, to the passage where paul says he's praying for the believers in ephesus to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Many of us have like lived that prayer in many ways, right? haven't we, over the years? And so this passage comes before he, he's, he, he says that prayer. So let's look at this uh, passage. It's, it's, it's Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. So here we go. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, This mystery is that the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So that's a lot of words. There's a lot of thoughts stacked on each other. It's very dense. It's like up here, down here. It's kind of everywhere. It's kind of one of those kind of like. Difficult passages that 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 are you know sort of like the language is difficult because there's so many kind of layers and so many lead-on thoughts. But let me try and summarize what Paul what I think Paul is saying there. Okay, he's basically saying that God has chosen and used him to reveal the gospel to the Gentiles. Like I said, these are non-Jews. You know, Paul is Paul is Jewish. um, He came from a Jewish faith tradition, and now he's sort of been chosen by God to bring this nascent faith in Jesus to the Gentiles. And, um, and that's, that's a sort of a big deal because the early church was very much Jewish. And so, you know, Gentiles were starting to be drawn to Jesus. And so they needed somebody who could really bring, um, you know, the kingdom of God to all these non-Jews who were interested in it. And, and, and that particular thing that God is doing through Paul is part of what, you know, God's amazing plan to use the church to play a central role in his efforts to renew all his creation. So it's a big passage. It's sort of like, start, you know, it involves Paul, it involves the church, and it involves God and everything that God is doing. Okay? And so, like, standing up here on a Sunday, you know, in a church setting, you know, a passage like that you know, on one very high level can feel kind of exciting to me. You know, this is this is sort of the soaring language that, that Paul uses that, you know, I can get into. You know, knowing in theory what God is up to can be very inspiring and I can definitely feel that. You know, look at this great plan that God has. You know, he's going to bring everything together and that definitely appeals to the part of my brain where like idealism and intellectualism meet and it can be super powerful. But also, you know, You know, in recent years, as I read a passage like this, I also have some negative reactions. Okay, and I want to be honest about this. You know, I, you know, like, you know, in the old days, I would like shoo them away. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I need to be a good Christian. I need to like just get into what Paul is saying here and sort of bury this stuff and hope it goes away. And and um and, but I can't do that anymore. You know, I try to take myself seriously. I try to take my own thoughts seriously. I don't want to bury them and put them in that place where they sort of get mixed up in all my conflicts and, like, create a mess later on or something. And, and what I feel is happening is that, like, over the years, we mature, okay? Life has its ups and downs. Problems can be complex. They're not necessarily responsive to very sort of direct religious actions. And, and over the years, you become aware of this, you, you become aware of what your needs are, what your, what your limits are, uh, what you can really do, what, what, what might happen. And, and you also become uh, more mindful of the struggles that other people go through. You know, it's, it's a very healthy part of our, of our development when we begin to really take seriously other people's concerns and their needs a lot more seriously. And that wising up, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. Has often led me to a place where I will encounter something in the Bible, and I want to pull back from it. You know, like um, you know, uh, you know, like let's for, you know, instance, you might see a place where, you know, uh, you know, an instant in the Bible where, you know, somebody's in trouble. You know, God comes in, He intervenes, everything's cleared up, and they all go on their way. Okay, you know, and I read that, and I'm like, that's great. I'll definitely pray for that on prayer team. But I also feel like a little bit shortchanged. I'm like. But, you know, what happens when it doesn't actually, you know, turn out like that? Um, Yeah, sure, I'll keep praying, but I also need something to be able to process the disappointment. Right? I need that. And sometimes it's not there in the Bible, or at least I can't see it. Um, And so... You know, that's one thing that happens. And also, I can no longer read the Bible and just glide over the passages that seem to advocate great harm to entire people groups, you know, like the Philistines, or seem to affirm certain types of oppression. You know, I I read those these days, and I cringe, you know, and even later in, in Ephesians, there is a line that says wives should submit in everything to their husbands, for instance, And look, I know the context of that line. I know Paul's heart is beautiful. He's a loving guy. But for me, that's a little bit too much. I don't like that, okay? I don't like to see someone being told to obey somebody in everything, okay? Um, And I'm sure that line has been used over the years to enforce all sorts of very sort of unfair power structures in families, in society, where women are being kept down. And so, you know, at times the Bible can feel like this kind of wise old love, you know, this, this sort of relative that you love, you know, but when he or she shows up, you know, they make an offensive remark about something and you're like, well, what do I do with that? Do you know what I mean? You're like, I mean, I love being with this person, you know, I get a lot out of this person, but like, did you just say that? Do you know what I mean? So like, and so, so what, what do we do about that? Okay. How do we sort of respond to that? So, one thing, I don't want to be avoiding it, okay? I want, to, I want to, like, confront this in a sort of wise way that actually gets something positive out of it. So, let's try and use our passage to work out how we can enjoy being engaged with all of the Bible, okay? And so, my first thought today is this. Let's read the Bible without feeling obliged to like or understand it, okay? Let's read the Bible without feeling obliged, to like or understand it. So let's look at this section that says this. Um, and two, and this is where Paul's saying he's, you know, um, you know, God is using him to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay. So what Paul is saying is he has this mission, and this mission is to what? What is that mission? It's to it's to make um, the manifold wisdom God known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is that? Does anyone know what that is? I mean, like it means. I mean, on face value, it means that there are these heavenly kind of um, spiritual powers that the church can somehow affect by being a vessel for God's manifold wisdom. I understand it at that level, but I, I have no idea what that means in reality. I mean, I have no know, know idea who those powers are, how we're supposed to bring them manifold wisdom, You know, whether we can know that we're bringing it, whether there's any sort of response. And so that, that's to me, is like one of those passages which is totally baffling in the Bible. And, um, and it's, so it's like one I've never understood, and I'll probably never understand it, right? And... And my point is, really, that we need to be okay with that, okay? We need to be okay that sometimes the Bible will baffle us. And one thing you should absolutely, I think, never do is to force meaning onto something that really doesn't fit, okay? Little good can come from that. I mean, I could put all sorts of interpretations on that, but they wouldn't really kind of be a satisfying fit. And so I'm just going to refrain from that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to leave it where it is, and I'm going to move on, all right? The other thing about this passage is that it kind of unnerves me. Um, You know, it kind of unnerves me because a lot of things in, you know, a lot of times in Paul's letters is that he kind of comes from like 10,000 foot. And he looks down on all of creation (laughs) and everything God is doing. And it's just, on one level, it's amazing. But on another level, it's kind of distant. And look, I'm being honest with my reactions. I'm not saying that the right reactions, but it just feels distant. And I'm like, okay, wait. So, you know, what does that mean? So you have this great plan, but how do I fit into it? What what can I do? What, where is it happening in the lives of people around me? Where is it happening in my life? And so, yes, I'll continue to pray for, like, big breakthrough things to happen. Um, but But these sort of passages suggest a sort of, like, you know, uh, a cause and effect. It's like there will be something and you will do something and this will happen. And when that doesn't happen, I start to wonder whether or not all this other stuff, you know, what's in it? What's really going on with it? Because um, things don't pan out as expected and sometimes you might expect them to do when you read these sorts of passages. And so when I say, let's read the Bible without feeling obliged to like or understand it, I'm saying, just, just give our negative reactions some space. Okay, and then let's just like look at what they're saying to us, and then let's explore them in good faith. Okay, and I think we have to acknowledge that uh, what the Bible is. Okay, when we when we when we create that space. Okay, the Bible is not this like one book written by one person. You know, God hasn't like directly transcribed it and then handed it down to humanity. Okay, the Bible is this vast, you know, beautiful, highly varied. Uh, set of works written by like authors across different ages, um, coming at it from different directions and different ethnicity. It's just like this incredible collection of works, okay? And my point here is that it's absolutely no surprise that in this vast work, we don't like everything, right? It would be kind of weird if we liked it all, you know? We didn't, we didn't find some of it stumbling. So, like, let's take this, like, um, you know. Like an apple, right? So we don't eat every part of the apple. I mean, maybe you do eat the entire apple. Like, uh, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, you, okay, so yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, you know, I don't eat the stalk. I don't eat the leaf. I might sometimes eat the core if I'm really hungry. Do you know what I mean? But usually I'll just eat the, the, the good part and I'll enjoy it. But telling somebody that they must like the entirety of the Bible is like telling somebody you must eat everything you see there and you must like it, okay? See what that suddenly does to you? You feel conflict. And I don't want you to feel that conflict. I want you to feel space for you to say, no, 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 I don't like that piece. I don't want to eat the stalk. I don't like it when it says you have to go and kill all the Philistines. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want us to feel is that space to object and say, look, hold on, I'm not not down with this. Okay, I want you to feel like you have that space. All right. I'm not saying that, you know, what you must believe. I just want you to have that space. Okay, And this leads to my next point. Everybody comes to the Bible as themselves. Okay, When I, Peter Evis, 52 years old, um, read the Bible, I read it. As a 50-something white male, I come from a certain socioeconomic class, I have a certain type of education, I have a certain psychological makeup, I have a certain life history. That life history involves you know, 25 years of faith, and that faith background contains countless interactions with God and lots of other people, lots of you who love Jesus, and we've all had a great time doing that. And I bring all of that to the Bible. And this leads me to um, what Richard Rohr calls the tricycle of faith, okay? Basically, this theologian says there are, there are three wheels to faith, okay? Um, there is the Bible where we get lots of good stuff from. Then there is, secondly, your church's tradition, which is like all the things we do here that are like in addition to the Bible, the and the practices, and everything like that. And then there is experience, okay? That's, that's how we see things based on who we are. Um, that's the meanness. Like, when I come to the Bible, I come as me. And we can't get around that. You know, Richard Rawls' big point is that everyone makes their individual you know, experience, their meanness, the front wheel. The big front wheel is always, no matter who it is, who you are. It's not the Bible. It's not your church's experience. And many Christians like to say that they're putting the Bible as the big front wheel, but it seems a lot more accurate to me, and I know this just from, like, seeing how people have dealt with faith over the years. It's who we are that interacts and how we interact with God that ultimately drives our faith. It's who we are and how we interact with God that ultimately drives how we pick up the Bible and what we get from it. And and it might sound like I'm saying that, you know, reading the Bible is this deeply subjective, siloed thing, and there are no objective truths. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that at all. All I'm trying to do is to recognize the reality is that everybody comes to the bible from a range of different places and my big point is that is to be celebrated okay if we see that as a good thing we'll probably find it much easier to meet god in the bible not less okay god is going to use our experience he's going to use who we are he's going to use our interactions with our you know, fellow believers, he's going to use all the things that we have in our psychological make- makeup, everything that's sort of happening in our life, he's going to use that to meet us, and then he's going to draw the Bible into that and teach us some amazing things. And I'm not saying that that stuff that we bring is always right, it's not always healthy, our preoccupations aren't always going in the right direction, but they exist and they're not going anywhere and so we have to put them on the table when we come to God and the bible's going to help us see those things and when we do that we're going to feel a lot more freed up to engage with God and with the bible okay so here's another point i wanted to make read the bible as an exercise in empathy you know one of the best life habits i think we can develop as people is learning to listen to other people and and becoming able to hear what people are really saying right what they're really kind of looking for, and you know we expect empathy from others, we feel like a little put off when we don't get it from other people, and I think that you know that's a that's a sign that we should try and show it towards other people. We should be empathetic because empathy is the opposite of judgment okay um, empathy is the opposite of judgment, accepting everything is not the opposite of judgment empathy is the opposite of judgment and and I like to try and read the Bible with empathy. Okay, I, you know That's one of the ways in which like, I don't want to judge the Bible. I'd hate to be in the camp that thinks it's always wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not. It's certainly not that. But you can have a certain kind of feeling of like, oh, here we go again um, when you sort of read the Bible because you're feeling kind of worn out and you know, things aren't happening as you expect them to happen. But when you approach the Bible with empathy, when you think about... Uh, what the authors of certain books were really trying to say, what were they going through when they wrote those things? You know, how hard was it for them when they wrote those things? How different was their time to ours? Let's recognize the big differences, and and that's why I love you know uh, Paul's letters because um, you know especially this one because th- these passages in this in this letter show that. Um, that Paul has this sort of deep connection with, with the people in Ephesus. And, and, and they also show what he's going through as he tries to maintain that connection, okay? Take this passage. It says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, um, was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now the word prisoner here suggests... He is in some form of confinement in Rome, okay? And I just thought for a second, like, how hard it must be for this guy who loved, you know, roaming around all of, like, you know, the, you know, Asia Minor and other places and traveling and meeting new people and telling about the gospel, how incredibly difficult it must have been for him to be in one place, right, in confinement. And yet, he's doing it. He's still doing it. I also like this part. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, he's basically telling the Ephesians that even though he's like many, many miles away, he's still effectively at their service. Okay, He's saying that like, I'm at your service, I'm the least of the believers, but I'm still, and, that, and for that reason, I'm at your service. And, and, and he wants people to know where his heart is. He wants these people. He's like, I mean, like, that's something we don't do enough. We don't tell people how we feel and how much we love them and how connected we feel to them. And this is a great way of, you know, creating empathy is by telling people how we feel about them. And then we get this line. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And now it's Paul showing empathy here. He's sensing that there will be discouragement at the church in Ephesus when they hear about him and his fate. And he's trying to head it off. He's so empathetic. He's like, I know you're going to feel bad about this, but let me tell you, it's going to be okay. And and, and all these segments I've just shown you here show Paul trying to be this good pastor and this good friend in the hardest of situations. And if we, just for a second, show some empathy towards, towards this part of the Bible... We'll be in, actually be able to feel the pulse of Paul's heart coming through those words. We'll be able to feel his love. We'll be able to feel the pulse of his heart, and we will be affected by it. I'm telling you, okay? Um, and so they can be very. These can be very helpful for us. Okay, I'm going to finish up now with my last point, which is this: read the Bible in a way that gives you space to live and grow. Okay, now. I want to, like, bring everything together in a way that might be helpful for us to, to live the abundant life that Jesus promises us, okay? I want to give you some news that you can use, all right? So, <laughs> so, let's say, okay, it's Sunday, right? Sunday today, I'm, like, reading this passage. I know it's going to be a hectic week. Work's been crazy recently. Um, and what do I do with Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13 in the context of the life? I have in relation to who I am, Um, and, you know, I've already gotten a long way, you know. Um, I know that I'm not going to get hung up on the passage I don't understand, you know, heavenly rulers, fine, be your heavenly rulers, I'm okay, you do that, I'm going to move on, I'm not going to get stuck on that. And secondly, um, I've made a personal connection with the passage through Paul, I've, I've sensed Paul's empathy. I feel very attracted to his willingness to be there for others. Um, and and I, I know, I sense that I'm nothing like the servant leader that Paul was. I'm a huge distance away from being that. And yet, I'm intrigued by that. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's something really attractive about being this sort of like person who's at the service of others. And I'm like thinking, okay, well, this week's gonna be crazy, but that means when there's stress, there's probably a lot of opportunity for me to somehow do good in people's lives or in the workplace or, you know, with my friends and somehow represent the character of Jesus in my social circle. So I'm kind of excited about that because Paul has kind of reminded me of all the, you know, wonderful things that you can do when you have the gospel. And, and, and they seem, when you read the Bible, they seem more doable. They seem like something you could actually, you know, do yourself, even though obviously I'll never be like Paul. And so that's happened. and, and. And I'm feeling hopeful you know uh, I really feel I could do some of these things um, but I need something else. I feel like you know I, I have like you know been following Jesus for long enough to know that there's often something else lurking in the passage that could be really big and huge and beautiful and 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 something that carries you know both the promise and the power of Jesus and it's here in this line okay it says to the, it says this line says this to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? I'm talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, guys, what a phrase is that, okay? The unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? What that says to me is that Jesus has these amazing things for us, you know, life experiences that will feel like treasure, true treasure, not monetary treasure, and yet those experiences will be so bountiful that we may never know their end, okay? The unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? And that, when I read that, it reminds me of like the, both the power and the promise that Jesus has in our lives. It reminds me of those, those things that are going to happen in our life where we will feel his power and the promise that he's bringing into this world. And so I can now look ahead at my week. I'm like come to the Bible in a certain way in a more real way I'm like more self-aware way I'm quite ready to admit the things I don't like that stumble me and yet I'm creating space in that place for God I think to map out what could be a pretty amazing you know few days ahead of me or much longer or part of the continuing journey that's going to happen and and so what's happened is I've made peace with the Bible. I depressurized it. I've created space. I've got excited again. And I found something. I've come across something that has made me very excited um, for what Jesus is going to do in my world, in my life, and in the life of others, um, perhaps in the next few days. So I want to pray for that to be in your lives now, if that's okay. All right? So let me do that. Um, Holy Spirit, Um we thank you for um, the Bible. We thank you that it has so much for us. And we thank you um, that we can come to it as ourselves. We don't have to hide anything when we come to you, Lord. And so I ask Jesus that you would use that space now to do really big things in the coming week, that you would fill us with your spirit, that he would teach us how to to see God more fully and to be you know, excited about what Jesus has for us and to see, you know, the beginnings of something that we could actually be involved in. So, Lord, I want to bless all of that. I want to bless your place here today and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.